0: helping women and men build their careers for more than 40 years. She's an entrepreneur, the best-selling author of several incredible career development books, and more recently, Carol created Mission Getting to Next. It provides coaching and mentorship for female service members who are transitioning back to civilian life. Carol is using her incredible perspective and her expertise to help women but also to have an impact in a new and unique way. Carol is a trailblazer in the field of personal and career development, and we are delighted to welcome her here today.
1: Oh, thank you, Laura, and what a pleasure to be with you.
0: Thank you so much for coming. I'm delighted to have you. We've seen a lot of changes happen in with women leaders.
1: My goodness, yes. <laughs> <laughs> we have seen a lot. I, I remember the beginning. And in that beginning, there were no other women working at that point that I knew of. They were housewives, very good housewives, doing very good things for their families. But the whole idea of going outside was so difficult Mm -hmm. until around the 70s. And I remember what happened to me during that time. And that was the first thing was watching my mother and father. And I think most people get their first beginnings, of course, through their family. And for me, my mother and father were happy, but fighting a lot. And what were they fighting about? Money. Money was a very large piece. And my mother wanted to work. In those days, women were not allowed to work by their husbands if they were middle class or upper middle class or certainly well-to-do. And they weren't allowed because the man would feel very poor or guilty or feel that the woman has to bring in some money and that means that he's not successful enough. So my parents would do the following. My mother would say, you know, I have a great idea. I want to be in real estate and buy a townhouse. And my father would allow her on a golden chain to look at the townhouses, find the one she wanted. And then when it came to putting down the money, which he had, he would pull the golden chain. And I felt, I'm not going to be in that position. I'm going to make my own money. I'm going to decide whether I want to do something or not do something. And so at about 22, I began my first business. And I did it very proudly, feeling I could at least sustain myself.
0: And what was that first business, Carol?
1: I began a children's theater with adult players. It was called the Peppermint Players. We had four off-Broadway theaters that we were in and had four companies moving up and down the seaboard. And someone who was one of our actors had an uncle at McGraw-Hill and introduced me. Mm -hmm. And then We went on film and put everything on film, and the film went around the world. We also found, through another friend, a company called Peter Pan Records, and that went around selling well over a million records. Mm -hmm. So what I learned very young was just keep networking, but not just networking anywhere. Networking with the people you feel Can really be of assistance, and that you can't just do it alone. You have to be something that gets something from you to them.
0: So, Carol, how did you get from that point to career and personal development, which you've spent the better part of some 40 years advising clients in all different sectors, all different areas about career and personal development? So, how did that shift happen?
1: Well, it's Whenever you are the leader, no matter what your age is, people depend on you, and they tell you all sorts of things that you wouldn't necessarily know. And one of our actresses came to me at about, you know, and I was now 23, and came to me at a time when sex was really not something that good girls did. Now, this is we are now in the 60s. This
0: is sort of the Mad Men era, right? That's right. Oh, this was Mad <laughs> right. Men. I knew them well. <laughs> <Right>.
1: <laughs> Absolutely, Laura. But that was the time when if you were the leader, they came to you. And there was a lovely young woman who came and said, I'm pregnant. Please help me. Well, 23 years old. I mean, I even had, I didn't have sex yet. I didn't know about this. But I said, well, I'm the leader. I will find out. And that really started my interest in how do you help people, particularly women.
0: And so how did you take that notion of helping other people and and leveraging that to become this Uh, career and personal development
1: coach? Well, every time I had a business, and I've had four different businesses, built them up, sold them. But all the time, I had mostly women as employees, Mm -hmm. and that's where I got very involved. Um, The people I chose to come in were young. They grew remarkably well in each field I was in, and they became leaders, and that's what I wanted. Later on, when I sold my last business, I said, you know, I know a lot about this now. I have just lived this for the last 30 years. So this is the time to really assist people in a much bigger way and not just do it with employees.
0: You've written some incredible books I mentioned uh, in the open. One is The Woman's New Selling Game, um, and another is When Smart People Fail, both terrific and very provocative titles. In The Woman's New Selling Game, you dig into a challenge that is very common for many women related to thinking strategically about their careers and how how do they package what they can do so that someone will buy it. Can you talk a little bit about that and the advice that you give to women, both in the book and in your coaching, as it relates to how you sell your value?
1: The very first women's organization that I know of in the United States was in New York City, and it was put together by two a man and a woman who were at Columbia University, and they had so many student women who would come and ask for very special things, how to sell. I was invited to come and lead that class. And the class was really about opening a new business. It Mm -hmm. wasn't about selling. It was new business. It turned into the following. Most of the women in that class were about, oh, in their 30s, even early 40s. Most of them had very good ideas to do and build a business Not great ideas, but everything from cookies to clothing to very female things. And they were doing very well. But I noticed that every single woman in that class at one time had come up to me and said, would you find me someone to sell so that I can do the work and they can be the salespeople? And I said, you know, you're the one who has to sell you're the one who knows this business the best you're the one who's got to go out there and there was this great fear this great I don't do that no I want someone else to do it and I said ultimately you can't hire someone at this point you're just starting a business you've got to begin learning this yourself and we stopped the new business and went into, how do you sell yourself? Mm-hmm. How do you? What's it like? Right. How do you do this?
0: How, how do you see these, this sort of mindset changing? Have you seen it change oh. over the years?
1: Yes and no.
0: Okay, tell me how.
1: First of all, look at the women in business. Look at the women in corporations. Look at the women in not-for-profit. Look at women. Right. We have come a very long way, and it's a beautiful way and a wonderful way. I would say that three-quarters of the women that I work with have a problem asking for big money, not negotiating well for their money. So we're finding over and over again women who are now the breadwinner in the family and the man is taking care of the children. Mm -hmm. Or it's an equal, uh, and that's a very extraordinary thing when you can be equal. But it has its problems. Mm-hmm.
0: It's hard to make a dual-career household work.
1: Yes, it right? really it is, really particularly when you have children. Because mothers are the ones that usually are the ones that the school calls, is the ones that the doctor calls. And, and if you're not around so much, it's difficult.
0: Yeah. So you talk about, uh, in, in your other book, When Smart People Fail, you give nine reasons why people often fail. What's the most common?
1: How you get along with people. What is your ability to, one, listen, take criticism well, listen to what they say rather than thinking crazily all about yourself and what you're going to say next, but really hear it. And it's really about the first thing is getting along with people. That's major.
0: But feedback can be really hard to hear. Yes. Especially when it's, you know, quote unquote constructive or negative.
1: Or it's you. (laughs) Or it's you,
0: right. How do you advise your, how have you advised your clients to think about this notion of feedback?
1: Well, feedback is what you really need in order to be successful. And feedback can be handled. But it's hard. You're absolutely correct. It's very, very hard. And one way of doing it is to know that you're going to have trouble with it. So to allow that with your own thinking and say, okay, they're going to tell me something I don't want to hear and get it in the back of your head. Now, your brain can only work one route at a time. So you can say to that root, I'm going to have trouble and I deserve to learn what to do next. And that's the second thing you're learning, but the one that's in your head at that time so I have this problem all the time I don't want to hear that you don't like what I'm saying, you don't like what I'm doing, you, I'm asking for too much money, I'm asking for too much from you and my mind will tell me that but I also know I can be helpful, I can learn I can do the next thing and as I said you can always say it to yourself and then listen to what they're saying and be thankful for it
0: why do you think it can be harder for women to hear feedback than men?
1: We're perfect. We <laughs> want to be perfect.
0: There's that word. <laughs> There's that word. <laughs> we
1: we want to be so good, we're goody goodies. <laughs> and it's the same problem. I know uh, women will sit and do great things and just expect they're going to get more money. They're going to get honors. Well, you keep doing that, and what happens to you? You get more work. That's about all you get. <laughs> You're not getting movement because you don't ask for it. You don't take the time to say and the courage to say, look, I don't want to do this anymore. I've just done 12 hours of work. I don't wish to do that again. It's a matter of someone taking advantage of you because you're so good. And that's the reason they want you to continue doing more and more. And unless you can negotiate it and say, You know, I'm happy to do this, but I also have to get something more at home.
0: Let's pivot a little and let's talk about the value of knowing yourself. You talk about this in your book and about how important that is to really know yourself, to know what your blind spots are. So how do you advise people to to really get that level of understanding?
1: Well, the first thing and really the only thing ultimately is purpose what's your purpose what kind of purpose do you have i know women coming out of a field that's the field they know men and women they know that well and i'm thinking about military women particularly mm-hmm. the military women women that i have worked with in the last 4 years have been so purposeful they are patriots They know why they're needed. They are very clear about what their purpose is. And yet you get out, and what's your purpose? You're no longer defending the United States of America. You're no longer so clear in your head about why you're there and what has to happen and what you're going to do. But you're now at a lost place, and very few know what they're going to do. So you have to find that out. And that's who you are, it's what is your purpose. Well, the most that can happen for you is that you are able to continue what you love and that you're purposeful about that because you love it.
0: For for many people, it can be you're on a solid path, everything's going fine, but it's just not, it's not lighting up your soul. How do you know when it's time to move on? Even if someone hasn't said to you, okay, time for you to move on. How do you know when it's time?
1: You have to be very clear with yourself. You have to say, I don't like it here anymore. I don't like it because I don't like the people. I don't like that I'm not getting ahead the way I should be or feel I should be. I'm not enjoying the many times the two, company, two companies are getting together and I don't like the personality of that other company. I don't like the new manager who is trying to do it so differently. I'm not happy. But on the other hand, I make money there. I get a vacation there. Uh,
0: Golden handcuffs, as they say. Yes, that's a
1: great word, (laughs) the golden handcuffs. And you stay, but you're not happy. You have to be brave. You have to really be brave. And you have to say, okay, I'm going to give myself this amount of time, and I'm going to learn something else at the same time. So those are for the people who just can't move unless they've been fired, unless they have been asked to leave. But those are the people who at night take a course. Those are the people who look around at the same time that they're working there. That's where your great network takes over. Now, a network is not any person you meet anywhere. If you have A huge network, that's great for certain things. But in terms of moving, you want five or six smart people whose areas are similar to the ones that you're interested in. And then you have how do you get in touch with these people after you might not have seen them for the last 10 years? Mm -hmm. So how do you just call them? How do you call someone you haven't spoken to in so long but is in an industry that you've been thinking about? first thing you do is to call and not say, I'm looking for a new job. You never say that. What you do say is, I've been watching you in your work. You are so good at it. You flatter them. People love to be, and it's sincere. It's Mm -hmm. sincere flattery. You don't just say, you know, you're wonderful, but it's sincere. And you talk about what they have done because you have read about it. You have heard about it. And I would love to get your advice. Now, we love giving good advice. uh, And that's how you can move. And the moving can take time. For example, if you're in very high level, you have to figure for the most part, it's going to take you a year, a year to find the next thing. And it takes time to think about what you want, to get to what you want, to find something that really turns you on.
0: So, Carol, let's talk about failure and setback. This can be a big one. How do you advise people to put perspective around that and set about recovery? What what does that look like? How do you do that?
1: Well, the first thing is that failure is an interpretation of an event. Now, that's very important. If you are interpreting something one way, you will act one way. If you're interpreting it another way, you will act that way. So I'll give you an example. My husband worked for CBS for many years, and so I know a lot of CBS people. And and at one point, CBS got rid of a lot of very good people. But they were owned by someone else now, and they were expensive. So they fired them. There were two friends of my husband's. One of them, when he was fired said, you know, for years I've wanted to rebuild old houses. I'm not happy about this, but I'm getting a lot of money right now for the next year. I think I'm going to do a good house, sell it, and then buy the next one and redo it. The other man said, how can this be? This is the only thing in my life. This is the thing that has made me who I am and what I think of myself. I cannot live this way. I'm too old now to go to another place to produce. No one's going to hire me. He went up on the roof and threw himself oh. down. But that's an example of two very different people who interpreted what they were going through differently. And we all do that. Again, the question is, who are you? And it hurts at first It's very hurtful. And we go through a whole series of things. It's a little death when you are moving out and changing. And that little death consists of something like actually dying. And you feel this feeling about, oh my, uh, how can I ever move again? I am destroyed. You're I am it. mourning. And you do do the same things you do when you lose someone. Mm. When you lose someone, it's important to you. Life is important to you in your work. Love and work are the two major things in our lives. And when we lose either of them, it's a little death. And that's what happens. And it's, and it's okay. I know I, I had a business for many years where my partner died. she died on my couch mm-hmm. in my office. She had a heart attack and died. I immediately said, I cannot do this alone. We did two different parts of the business.
0: Mm-hmm. So you are mourning not only the loss of your friend and your colleague, but also the fact that the business didn't work without the two of you.
1: That's correct. Which
0: is kind of a double a double whammy. That's right, really tough.
1: And what I did ultimately, not even ultimately, I did it quite quickly, is I said, I can't do this alone, just what you said. That's absolutely true, Laura. And I went through this mourning period for months, just months. I went to bed. Who was I if I wasn't this company? Usually when I move from company to company or do something, I do it because I know what the next thing's going to be. I had no idea what the next thing was.
0: How did this, I mean, this was a devastating loss on, on multiple levels. How did that inform your work going forward? Because you did recover and you did put things back together and you pivoted into a different area to provide help and, and to consult with other women and help them put the pieces back together. So, how, how did you draw strength from that really devastating experience?
1: I live in an apartment building in New York, and I have a friend, and we know each other in that building. I was six months lying in my bed, kind of in my nightgown, and one day there was a knock on my door, and she walked in with a piece of paper that said, you are fired. And she said, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. I've been fired. And I said, well, I'm feeling the same way. She said, but you haven't been fired. You just sold your business. Uh, You get in the newspaper. Carol Hyatt sells business. I'm going to get in the newspaper fired. She said, this is very different. I said, I don't think so. Sometimes you do something yourself and you feel the same way as someone else doing it for you. And we began to talk at length. I said, this is what's going to happen to you in all probability. But maybe we can do something together. I think that will get me out of bed, and that will get you moving. So we began meeting. We're in the same building. We began meeting a few times a week, and we talk about what's next. And about that time, I belonged to an organization called the Women's Forum. And the Women's Forum has women of very high success. And I had gone to a conference. And another woman stood up and said, I have no problem with my success. My problem is my failures. (laughs) And then most of the women stood up and talked about their failure. And these were women of enormous professional life. Remarkable women. And I came back and I said to Linda, you know, that's so interesting. Let me tell you a few stories about what these women were saying. And that's how we got to do When Smart People Fail.
0: Your terrific book. Yeah. Yeah. And it was a
1: bestseller. It was just as The Woman's Selling Game was a bestseller. Yeah. Because these are needed
0: yeah well what what i find one of the things that i find so fascinating is that you wrote these books a number of years ago and yet the advice is still very timely
1: it's okay to mourn it's fine to mourn if someone dies that you love you mourn no one will ever tell you well you just lost your husband just go out and get another one but they're very fast to tell you you've just lost your job just get right out there and get another one No, you're mourning. You have a right to mourn. You have a right to rethink. You have a right to consider what went wrong. How did it go wrong? What am I going to do in the future? What do I really love? Where am I going to move? How am I going to do this? But you have the right to think. You have the right first to mourn. Then the second thing is to rethink, who am I now? who do I really want to be? What is my, and we get back to this word, purpose? Hmm. What is my purpose in life? And what do I need? Do I need X amount of money in order to exist? If I do, then how can I get both my purpose, if that's not the job for you, but do it two ways? And those are the things you think about.
0: Are there tools, Carol, that you recommend for people to use to to help begin to put this process in place? First,
1: mourn. Take your time. Secondly, begin to look around. What really interests you? Now's the time to get a coach. Now's the time to go to people you love who can fill you in on things. Now the time to take a good workshop. Now's the time to really begin thinking about what's next. Mm-hmm. You begin to investigate. You become a great investigator.
0: Let's transition. I want to still wanna to talk to you about Mission Getting to Next that's focused on helping military women transition into civilian jobs. Talk to me about how that started and, and, and what exactly Mission to Next is doing.
1: It started this way. A friend invited me to a luncheon and I'm sitting next to my friend on one side and this woman on the other side and I say oh you know I'm Carol Hyatt and I'm I'm so interested in you what what have you been doing she said I'm out of work I said really what what did you do before she said well I was a general I said a general of what she (laughs) said I was a general in the army I said well Why aren't you getting a job? Every man that I know who's come out as a general gets remarkable jobs. They've got this whole wonderful network. They're doing, they go to run colleges, they go to uh, banks. I mean, they're phenomenally successful with friends who help them. She said, First of all, I don't have a lot of networks this way. We're the first group to come out. She said, But I am speaking. And I've gone to five different places for work. They don't want me, but four out of the five have invited me to come and speak. I said, oh, how great. So I'm always interested in speaking because I do a lot of speaking. I said, how much money do you get for speaking? She said, money? I said, yes, speakers get money. She said, I never thought of that. And I thought, I can't believe this. I've been doing something called getting to next for many years. But this is so fascinating. I wonder how many more women there are who have these high positions getting out and really don't know what to do. Well, the structure is something I've had for 40 years around the world. And around the world, I have done many different things. The selling game, uh, I've done all sorts of... uh, workshops. And these,
0: are, these are training seminars. They're training
1: seminars, right. And one that was the most popular has been getting to next. So we are continuing getting to next and doing it the way we used to, but this time working with half military and half civilian. And why? Because they need desperately to have civilian real comrades, civilian people who can really network for them. And these are women who are also out of their fields, are looking around, maybe because they're going to at some point retire, or they're not liking what they're doing and want to think about something else. But they have the networks. They have the experience. They have the knowledge And these women have great knowledge as military, but it's in the military, and they don't have—they've been in there for 30 years and 40 years. They don't know—the big thing is they don't know what shoes to wear. They've been wearing boots.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And their network is very sort of specific to the military, I think, right? right? It's not as broad as it needs to be in order for them to see these other opportunities that may— Exist and that do exist.
1: But they don't know the opportunities for the most part. And why would you know all the possible things that are possible when you have been really centered for 14 hours, 16 hours a day? You don't get to have that knowledge. You have your own knowledge, which is spectacular. I never met women with more knowledge. I never met women who have worked 50% of the time and 50% of the time are educated. Mm. Their educations are fantastic and their experiences are unbelievable.
0: What a great way to give back and to transition your own work to help people in this very unique way. Carol, it has been a pleasure. You and I could go on all day and into tomorrow, I'm sure. It has (laughs) been such a pleasure. Thank you so much for being with us. It is
1: a great, great pleasure. And I wish you so much luck with your wonderful, wonderful experience in doing all these great things for women
0: thank you so much I appreciate it for our listeners you can learn more about Carol via our website at com. and if you're enjoying this podcast please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to your podcasts iTunes Stitcher Google Play or any any of the other platforms thanks so much for listening